We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on Soft Radio Network. My name is Neil Bradley. I'm your host this evening together with Joe Quinn. Hi there. And we're joined again by the lovely Bahar Azizi. Say hello, Bahar. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm also Amari Rose. Ah, a.k.a. Amari Rose. I just used my real name. Oh, my God, you've been out of... Why not? Exposed. <laughs> Scandal, international expose. <laughs> well, today is January the 24th, 2016, and we are going to bring you another roundup of the crazy stuff that happened all over the world in the last week or so. Um, right now, some of our colleagues and friends on the east coast of the U.S. are getting hammered by a blizzard. If you're there and you're snowed in and you're listening, uh, reach out. Tell us how's it going. Is it is it fun? Because I mean, snowfall is fun. You got to do a lot of fun things when it's snowing. You don't have to go to work. Yeah. One. But on the other hand, there are some places looking at drifts where it's like several feet high and it's kind of crippled transport and infrastructure. So. It even costs six meter weights. Mm-hmm. That's the storm, yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's crazy. I I couldn't get my head around that until I saw a satellite imagery of it, yeah. because it's coming from the west to the east across the United States. So how are the waves then? Well, it's whipping around mm-hmm. from the south and then co- coming back into the north. That's why it, uh, the epicenter of the storm, the getting hardest hit, is D.C. New York. Mm-hmm because it's actually sort of curled out to sea to force it by the time it comes in. And that's bringing even more moisture into the cold front, and they're getting hit. Um, it's not over. I know our American listeners know that, but for anyone else listening, it's uh, they're only in the, in the middle of it now. New York State is one of five states to have recorded 30 or more inches thus far. Uh, Virginia is actually, parts of Virginia have seen 39 inches of snow. That is about 70, 80 centimeters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the wind, it's drifting and it's building up even higher levels, covering some, some buildings and places. Um, in terms of records, too early to tell, but they have already determined, based on readings from airports in the D.C. and New York area, that all-time snowfall records, that is from a single snowstorm, are being broken all over the place. So this is a big one, if you ask me, because snow is fun. But it's only fun if it goes away then quickly. Right. If this thing, you know, starts happening a bit too often, mm-hmm. you've got a problem. And winter isn't over yet, obviously. You know, this is just uh, kind of end of January. Um, and you can't rely on the seasons that much anymore. And, um you know, okay, February, you know, can be a cold month as well. So who knows what February is going to bring? Even into March, 
Uh, it's still winter until officially until about 21st of March. But even that that nominal kind of division of the seasons doesn't necessarily mean anything because, as we know, um, people have been watching the weather over the past several years. Uh, seasons are kind of seriously out of whack. Um, sure, in some places in summer you have seriously warm and seriously cold in, in winter, but um, also out of season, extremely wet uh, weather in, in summertime. Some places don't really get their normal summers, etc. So those seasons are all over the place, basically. And uh, of course, we have at the same time this um, El Nino business, which is obviously a very complex system, but uh, it uh, leads to serious changes in the global weather patterns um, that and will last now for you know several months right through into the summer, etc. So basically, everything is thrown uh, up in the air as far as what we expect. Um, weather-wise, what we would expect weather-wise to be to be coming down, and um, absolutely, our daytime high here today is greater than it was on June twenty-first, two some two summers ago. Okay, well, there's a perfect example. We're in the middle of winter, <clears throat> and we've had a warmer day in the middle of winter than we did uh, into summer or the beginning of summer. So, um, yes, I also. Um read that South Africa apparently had its driest year last year. And recently there's been a wildfire uh, near a wine region in South Africa. And apparently because of the drought, um, it's affecting 14 million people and they're having difficulty. Okay. So it's snow in the U.S. and... Drought in South Africa. Um, they also get, I mean... I, I don't know of any place that doesn't get this at the moment, but these intense hailstorms, mm-hmm. um, which I imagine are also part of intense rainfalls as well. Uh, but they're the things that attract our attention because mm-hmm. you know people make their videos, post, post them up, and they're sent around, and uh, they've had some hailstorms that clearly from the response of people living there, they're not used to seeing. You know, mm-hmm. that's part of the same phenomenon where you can have a drought. Um, like in the, the western half of the United States, particularly in California, but still get these intense downpours. Um, it's 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 the weather extreme. It's the pattern we've been talking about, and and it's going to continue. I mean, there's a limit, obviously, to how how far it will go. We don't think we're near the let's say the the crest just yet of extremes. They're going to be we 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 suspect there'll be some really bizarre things. I mean, things that you couldn't even conceive. I'm sure, in fact, everyone's got stories already of, of things they've noticed in the news or happening in your own area. There's going to be things happening for which the only similar anecdotal evidence we have are these strange accounts from ancient times mm. written by apparently sane people. They could have been historians in their own time. And then they start talking about weird stuff like fire bursting out of the ocean. And modern readers go, okay, well, they... This must have been a metaphor for yeah, fiery war or something. out of the ocean, obviously. But then you think methane. about extreme releases of methane gas. With lightning strikes. Incredible increase in lightning strikes. You've got these materials available to create those kind of weird things. So, mm. Yeah. So um, this is obviously a pretty bad storm that we're talking about here. It's, uh, what, 19 people? Um, at least 19 people have been killed. Most of them 
car accidents. Yeah, exactly. But still, I mean, it's it's significant in the, in the sense that that number of people don't usually get killed. With so much warning, someone is coming. Right. And, uh, I mean, there's some kind of craziness going on, in, um, which is probably, you know, not surprising as well, given the state of... to try and 
to keep your eyes on on the, the past few years and see patterns developing and not fall into this kind of complacency of ah eh, you know that's just the weather does stuff you know it's all normal nah it's probably not normal and from there that's your launching pad into figuring out all the other things that aren't normal on this planet uh, compared to what it used to be even and uh, and then wondering why what's it all about what's it all about then eh (laughs) what's it about (laughs) did either of you see this report about them some kind of radar imagery they used and found a ton of river tributaries a network of rivers under the Saharan sands. Right. I think in West Sahara, so going out to sea north of Nigeria, Niger, mm-hmm. and those small countries around South Africa's west coast. Okay, so what you say? Well, uh, I think the analysis on it is that, well, the reason it made the news was that it's far younger they would ever imagine. Mm-hmm. It's one thing for it to be super ancient, 100,000 some years ago. They're talking like 1,500 years or something within human civilization, within our history. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the kinds of changes that can happen to people, you know, big, big changes. Desert to habitable places overnight and vice versa. Um, places that were covered in ice, no longer, mm-hmm. and it's uh, also suggested that you can see the difference from one to the other. The transition period can happen almost instantly. So within our lifetimes, we can reasonably expect completely different um, layout of the world geography mm-hmm. than than what we're used to. All right. And of course, that kind of a change involves major societal upsets um, in terms of because uh, you don't have uh, you don't have significant changes in one uh, kind of region of the planet without having knock-on effects to other regions. And I mean, the, the big one there obviously is uh, the production of food. You know, when it's tied into obviously the changing weather weather patterns, uh, production of food is likely to be disrupted. Is already been disrupted, but it's likely to be disrupted in a way that it will um, significantly affect uh, people everywhere. The first probably sign will be people in uh, um, who are, you know, maybe having riots over or, or protests over food or food prices, and um, that's been happening sporadically over the past few years already. But um, these the weather changes and the the, the major changes in, in weather patterns is uh, can't but have an effect on food production, and that uh, in turn can't but have an effect on the human population. Um, so that's all to look forward to. Yes, indeed. I just want to say if you want to call in, people, the number, if you're dialing from the US, is 718 508 9499. Listeners can also Skype in, right, Joe? Yes. Just go to the Blog Talk Radio page and there's a little Skype icon there. You just click the Skype icon. If you've got Skype installed, it'll dial you through. Excellent. Have you got any comments or questions about yes. anything we'll talk about or anything you've seen on SOT or in the news of the last week? 
We've also, of course, got the chat room on the show page. Mm-hmm. Go down below, join in. Uh, and lastly, you can send us your love and your hate mail. Yes. To sot at sot.net, S-O-T-T. Hate mail goes straight into the spam folder, though. <laughs> it actually doesn't. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I've got some mail I want to read out. This isn't hate mail. In fact, it's kind of like, it's. I didn't know how to categorize it. But I just left it. I'm going to read it out. I'm not going to. Make I'm not Google. going to name any names. But the, we sent this message the other week. Um, it's a male name anyway. I'll say that much. So the message is: Hi, I am a retired businessman in in the 70s. In the 70s, I think he means in my 70s. I am very healthy and physically mobile. I love risks, and a former VP of Singapore Gun Club. I am financially stable. I traveled a lot and love gods. Okay, maybe he meant goods. I have eight pairs of well-trained German shepherds. I am courageous and gutsy. I hate psychophants and Machiavellians. I have retired for the last three years. I am bored to death. Looking for something exciting and extraordinarily. Mm. Read about Mossad. Interested in spying work. Advise how I can join as an Assad intelligence agent. And it was connected. So we get a link. I think when people contact us, we get a link to the story that interested them. And the headline for that was, Mossad will begin recruiting agents online from September 2014. So, sir, if you're listening... Um, well, we take all applications for the Mossad... Yeah, uh, just pass them on since we are obviously Mossad headquarters. <clears throat> We're obviously using um, fake names here. These aren't our names. My name isn't Joe Quinn at all. It's, uh, well, I can't say what it is, but it's suitably Hebrew. And uh, yes, we are accepting applications. Uh, and to say that this particular gentleman um, uh, will go to the top of my list for uh, for applicants. I'll be paying close attention to it, primarily because of his eight pairs of German Shepherd dogs. I can't reveal why we, Mossad, are going to need eight pairs of German Shepherd dogs, but I can say that it is extremely important to our next upcoming mission of herding the sheeple to a much finer order of control. I think it's great. I think anyone who's bored to death out there, you know, just, just do whatever you feel you got to do because at this point it's everyone just be whatever they think it is they they got to be or, or what they want to do we're not going to hold you back we won't we won't even judge you we we might berate you now and then and your your people you support but really <clears throat> we're happy you know for people to express their their true inner selves the cr- true inner crazy people yeah all right, just, well, just you're going to feel all those. Yeah. Don't have to do it around us, but yeah. <laughs> we reserve the right to judge it from afar, I suppose. But uh, we won't get in the way. Yeah. Um. So we've been criticised recently for not being positive enough. Mm-hmm. It's specific, specifically for being fear mongers and always been talking about negative stuff. So do do we have any positive news we want to like? Yes. Get people, you know, thinking positively. Well, 
I read something silly and funny today. So basically, in the UK, <laughs> so the, I'm just going to read it. So the government staff uh, in the UK, they've been ridiculed by social media users for misspelling the word language in a press release informing the public about a new policy on English language tests for migrants. So basically, they have this um, obligatory test for refugees to learn English, but in their press release, they misspelled that very announcement. So people have been making. Not only that, they misspelled the word language. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. which was quite uh, ironic. Yeah. And furthermore, well, I've just been searching for some good news on on the net, and to be honest, it was difficult to mm. find any, especially if you consider, you know, the crazy and crazier. Um, but I did find some good news, especially regarding Muslims, because there's a lot of uh, some of Islamophobia going on these days, and people forget that Muslims are people too. And um, I looked up how many Muslims there are in Europe, and there are about 44 million. And in the U.S., about 1.3 to 2.7 million uh, Muslims. So if you think about it, that would be a lot of terrorists. And, and if they were all, you know, bad people, then we would all be affected by it in one way or another. But we aren't. And why aren't we? Because they're just doing their things. They go to work. They go to school. And yes, they might pray a couple of times a day or maybe not because there are different kinds of uh, practitioners and People should keep that in mind. There might be some crazy Muslim people out there, but not all of them are like that. Well, they're not crazy Muslim people. Most of them, any any crazies are just crazy people who happen to be Muslims. Yeah. And of course, we've talked a lot lot in the past about um, the way that, uh, I mean, this this entire situation is just part of... uh, the so-called clash of civilizations, which is designed to manipulate and fool the people of the Western world in particular into believing that um, there's a boogeyman out to exactly. get them, you know. So uh, it, the whole thing is risable, really. It's just laughable, and um, uh, it should be it should be responded to in that way with disdain and you know just uh, mm-hmm. you know derision, effectively, because um, it is such it is a very transparent attempt to manipulate people and the logic and the argument behind it is, as you've just pointed out, mm-hmm. completely ridiculous. It doesn't yeah. hold any water whatsoever. Um, the idea that you can demonize or label um, 44 million or 1.5 billion mm-hmm. Muslims for the actions <clears throat> of a tiny number of people uh, who claim to be Muslims but clearly aren't because the things that they do are against Islam, they're not Muslims, exactly, so they yeah. shouldn't be called Muslims at all. Uh, and the majority of those are being manipulated by uh, Western intelligence agencies to create this kind of uh, division amongst in society so that the, the powers that be can then uh, impose more control. Because when people are like, saying like that, that's such a crazy conspiracy theory, they don't do that. But what, what you're saying that governments, etc., and these people who have been in power for very often for generations because they come from the same families and the same kind of cliques, that they don't like power? Mm-hmm. Clearly, they do like power. So you're saying that there's no situation where they would aspire to increase their power. And what is what? Where do they get their power from? Where do they get their sense of power from? Well, obviously, money. But a lot of them are so rich that 
Mm-hmm. Uh, money doesn't mean anything to them anymore. Uh, they get their power. Where where do ordinary people in your life get their power from? If you know manipulators in your family or in your society, how do they get their their sense of power? They get it by putting one over on, or manipulating, or controlling, or in some way, um, you know, um, influencing other people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, narcissists and, and those kind of people. They attack covertly and passively or whatever other people. And they get them to do things for them and they torment them and that kind of thing. And this is just in your normal society, normal families. So uh, that's obviously a, a way that humans feel power over other humans. Then you posit this, or you look at this position, these positions of, of uh, politicians and stuff who've been in power for a long time. And it's extremely logical to, to assume that they also get their sense of power over control over large people, uh, numbers of, of, of a population uh, over whom they effectively rule and have have mm-hmm. influence, so um, it becomes extremely logical to posit uh, this crazy conspiracy theory that people, or this theory that people cause a crazy conspiracy theory. But it's extremely logical uh, from a, psych, a human psychology point of view that this would be the way this w- this would be what is happening, and this is what they are doing. Yeah. And they have the means and the motive and the opportunity to do it, and they have the instinct and the nature to do it. So they're doing it. And it's, I mean, it's all very prosaic and understandable, mm-hmm. you know? And the only reason people say it's a crazy conspiracy theory is because you're afraid. Because what I just said scares you. Yeah. You know, when you say crazy conspiracy theory, you may as well say, you're a poopy head, I don't like you. And But I just told you something that is eminently logical. Why would you say that to me? Well, I'll tell you because you're not capable of telling, of saying it. You're scared. What I posited, what I presented to you made you afraid because the idea for you that there are people in power over you and uh, it would not have your best interests at heart. Shock, revelation. Oh, my God, what, a, what a, an amazing concept. It's, it in itself is logical. Your own reaction is logical. It's just what is, people. It's just reality. You know, deal with it. You know, okay, a lot of people aren't going to deal with it because they don't like to and they want to live in their little illusions and stuff and think that everything's rosy. But all the crap that isn't rosy, you know, what's the opposite color of a rose? Uh, poo color? I don't know. Dung? Brown? Dark? Black? It's, uh, the fact is, look around you and there's a lot of black, negative, uh, not nice, unpleasant things happening in society all around you. You see it every day. So, you know, just... Stand up, be a normal human being who can recognize things and say, okay, that's what is happening and I'm going to deal with the feelings that it, it, it provokes in me. And I'm going to then try and figure out a way what I should do about it or how I can make it better or if I can't make it better, I'll just, you know, whatever. But I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist because that's effectively the response of a crazy person. So don't be a crazy person. What's that, Joe? Excellent. That's That's... A great way to wrap up our positive news section. There you go. <laughs> exactly. I'm telling you not to be crazy. I'm not doing it. There you go. What else have we got for? Oh, people might already know this, but <clears throat> they have a water crisis going on. Yeah, what's that about? Well, the crazy thing is, is that under uh, Rick's. Rocking back and forth in my rocking chair with a 
sci-fi geeks and paranormal geeks. Yay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else did you find, Barr? Well, I was just uh, talking about what happens in Lynn, Michigan. Oh, yeah. Which is dealing with the water it's crisis. Serious water crisis, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Governor Rick Snyder's administration, they tried to save money 
by selling polluted Flint River water to the residents of Flint instead of using Detroit's water sources, and they ended up poisoning 100,000 people with lead. So the people have you know, joined forces and they try to deal with the crisis themselves because apparently uh, some people who should take care of the residents there who are dealing with this crisis, they're not really um, eager to help in a genuine way. And um, there was a, there's a Muslim community, um, yeah, the community of Durban, and basically they collected over 30,000 bottles of water and they gave it to the residents uh, in Flint. So I thought that was a really nice nice thing to do. And the organizer, he said, uh, quote, we saw what needed to be done and we decided to do it. We reached out to schools, neighbors, friends, mosques, anyone and everyone to help us by donating a case of water or money towards the, co- uh, towards the case. So... What's the name of that place again? Deer is it Dearborn, Michigan? Uh, Dearborn. So, Dearborn, yeah. yeah, it's the largest concentration of okay. of movement in, in the U.S. I think. It could be. No, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, no? Not particularly because it's Muslim doing it. Um, it could have been anyone, but it, it is noteworthy in itself. But it's it's a greater problem in the U.S. and many other places. But in the U.S., it's most advanced where. That phrase you used, those who should be taking care of, in this case, a public utility in need, yeah. water supply. You see, uh, Americans, uh, unfortunately, began to believe their own propaganda, that that is not the state's role. Mm-hmm. They still act as if it is, and when there's a failing, you can bet those people will be angry and the state will respond appropriately. But part of the insidiousness of why something essential like this ends up being so badly butchered is because they had this incessant propaganda that such things where a state provides a public service to a lot of people is a communist kind of thing to do. Mm-hmm. In a free society, you don't do that. You know, in a free society, private companies compete and you end up having the best possible service for the people because the companies were competitive with each other. If they actually started to believe this to a, a crazy extent, and this this is the kind of thing that results from that. It's an insanity because mm-hmm. there are some things that you cannot leave to private companies to do. Mm-hmm. If they see it, and it may not even be an evil on their part, and I'm going to sh- assume for a second that it isn't. Somebody didn't consciously go, hmm, here's a great way to save money. They saw they had to save money perhaps because, oh, God, our shares are terrible here. We're in serious. So how are we going to balance our books for this year? And, you know, we've got to pay all our employees, yada, yada. And this is the result of it. No one intended this to happen, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But it is a natural outcome of corporations supplanting the role of state. Yeah. You can't get around it. In the back of their minds, Americans know that damn well because this, they end up Who's the first person that they scream out and that? Why weren't you doing this and why weren't you doing that? You, you people who are staff members of public organizations, the state. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, chickens come home to roost, to roost in that sense. I mean, I think Detroit is basically managed by corporations at the moment. Um, there's probably a lot more to that story than meets the eye 
but uh, it's part of a pattern mm-hmm. that that's in play anywhere where capitalism is you know it's gone way overboard mm-hmm. uh in Britain, the trains don't run on time because of privatization among other public services that were sold off. The theory and the enticement were moving in this direction of a corporatization of everything was that it would produce better results mm-hmm. and across the board the results are worse so uh theory proved completely wrong fail. Yeah, well, you put a bunch of people in in, in positions of management over a, a, a public service, uh, mm. and all they see is the opportunity to build the public and mm-hmm. cut corners and destroy the service effectively and make it uh, make it much worse than it was before. Um, and and then they're surprised at that. I mean, it's a bad idea even to begin with. That it's it's just ridiculous. But it's like these people are lying to themselves about their own nature. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they justify their predatorial nature uh, by uh, with with a cover of you know of benevolence and want to help people. And yes, we'll do. I mean, this is a problem with we talked about this in the show before about the problem with the human uh, human psychology, you know, mm-hmm. and that it works against uh, uh, <clears throat> it can work against itself and work against other people in the sense that um, you know people have this ability to lie to them, sort of justify uh, what is their prime instinctive drives. Which for many people it's just me, 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 mm-hmm. and uh, they they come up with a socially acceptable uh, narrative to justify that. So they say instead of saying instead of being honest and saying it's all about me, 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 they say no, it's all about you, 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 you. Mm-hmm. I, I want to help people. I want to do this. I want to make things better. Blah 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 blah. Because they don't know their own minds. They don't know their own natures. Um, and of course, human nature has been. Um, increasingly psychopathologized effectively by the, by the the rule of psychopaths in position of power who who disseminate their ideology subtly and overtly through throughout society and, and establish kind of psychopathic values again under cover of noble values when people internalize those and then they basically repeat the same pattern where they 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 bullshit themselves about what the real intentions are by saying it's for everybody else and you get a situation like that where we want to make the railways work really well that's what that's the only reason we want to do this and government says yeah that's a great idea that would be great but behind it if you look at it you'd see that the government uh, these government officials agreeing to this and the corporate officials who are going to run it are all going to be making more money so put it up there you know okay on the one hand, we have you saying that you want to do good for the country and the people and make their lives better. On the other hand, <clears throat> that's a possibility, and you say you want to do that. And on the other hand, you're also going to make a large amount of money from this. Now, on balance, what is going to be uh, your main interest here? What's going to influence you most? Wads of cash or helping people get to work on time or get home on time on the trains? I mean, it's a no-brainer as well, you know. I mean, so, but that, that again requires you as I was saying before in my my rant uh, that um that you uh face reality and are able to accept things as they are, you know, and, and face into the hard facts of things rather than flying into some rose colored, wonderful uh, picture of how things how you like things to be, you know. It's just a bit of a recipe for disaster, you know, uh, and for comicality all over the place, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Keeping in line with our lighthearted 
thing. That's why I said it was going to be comedic. Sure, there'll be some comedy somewhere. You know, train will crash and nobody will be in it or something and it'll, you know, roll down a hill and we'll all have to laugh or something. <laughs> well, in looking for good, you know, good news out there, in the end, you know, you can't get too excited about it, but for the reasons we've just been touching on, one of them is the that some of the technologies that are moving from ideas to actual implementation are completely amazing. I, this this one is just startling to me. It's called the, the Hyperloop, supersonic transport on rails. This isn't just an idea anymore. It's actually being built. A system is being built in California. It's still only a prototype, but they're going to actually run. Um, basically, it's sci-fi stuff. It's, imagine you're being transported in a capsule, but you know, an enormous capsule, and it's they're being fired. Not being fired. They're not being like literally exploded down a pipe, but they're they're propelled by vacuum power. A bit like the those things you see in, in, in offices, you know, where you put something in a pipe and it shoots off down to wherever you want it to end up. Mm-hmm. But this on a human scale over large distances, it's actually being built and tested in California. And it's a private company um, developing this. But they're talking now to the Russians who say they want to invest big time and bring it over to Russia because they're interested in closing this, the, the massive geography of that country by making the connection between everywhere far quicker. So you can imagine going from, I don't know, Moscow to Siberia in an hour and a half where it currently takes several hours to fly. That's amazing. It, it's like it, some, of the, some of the ideas, the technology, the, the creativity, it, the, the planet is bursting with that too. Mm-hmm. You see the situation I've just described. An American company, bless their the heart, they want to do business with the Russians. It could be the Russian state. It could be a consortium of Russian businessmen as well. And all things being equal, those two should definitely go and talk and, and get the wallets out and, and get down to business. But immediately they've got a problem. You're not supposed to be doing business in Russia. And, and I bet that company, this is a, break, you know, a news story, and I bet if there were to be an update on it in a year's time, Somebody somewhere had a word with, sorry, I'm a, I'm a shareholder in your company. You know I love your ideas, but uh, you can't be one of the Russians. Mm. Because why? Well, for, because we're idiots. Because we're idiots. Because we're, we're prepared to shoot ourselves. We're, 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 prepared, we're prepared for you to take the fall, to take the hit. You can't, you can't do what you want to do, which is make money because Russia's evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Russia also came up with an Ebola vaccine. Uh, or at least Vladimir Putin a week ago claimed that Russia had developed an Ebola vaccine. They're going to sanction it in case Russia makes any money out of it. Because, you know, it's obviously a Russian attempt to infiltrate into Africa and get on the good side of the Africans, you know, yeah. in that country called Africa. 
pretty, quite a big country. It's a big Africa country. Uh, that's where the Russians are trying to get into to work their nefarious, nefarious, commie, Soviet type uh, maneuvers, and uh, they're trying to buy off the Africans with their Ebola vaccine. Uh, so we're going to sanction Ebola. I mean, the vaccine. We're also going to sanction Ebola, actually, because it's probably a Russian virus anyway. Exactly. Jeez. I mean, why do we think it's before? The Russians created Ebola, put it into Africa, and come up with a vaccine to get the Africans on their side. This is just pure Cold War playbook kind of stuff. Why do we think it's before? Sanction it. How do you sanction things anyway? You just say sanction it, don't you? You just sanction that you're sanctioning something. Pretty much. No, it's it's followed up. Any any company involved in any company or financial institution involved in the trade in any way or involved in shipping the product is fined. Mm. So everyone backs the hell away from it. Mm. If you're the shipping of a final product, you stop. If you're the bank that's uh, got to do the transaction between Russia and the third party, you're fined. If you're, yeah, if you're in any way connected, you you feel the direct um, result from it. It's not simply that it just works on fear; mm. it works on on your wallet. Mm. Well, whatever. Um, thanks, anyway. Uh, Chinese president calls for East Jerusalem as capital of Palestinian state. He's been busy this week. How dare he? Sanction him. <laughs> Good luck with that. No, thanks to the Chinese. It's like Hillary, it's like Hillary said in uh, you know one of the WikiLeaks cables that were released. She's talking to an ambassador of theirs, and she says, "Yeah, how do we sanction our banker? Mm. He's the one who sanctions us. Exactly. Mm. The uh, Xi Jinping has been on a high-profile tour of the Middle East. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think he went to Israel." But mentioning that he said that while he's there, hint, hint. Um, but he went to Egypt and he said, I'll give you $15 billion or something like that. They, they, they announced massive trade deals, a bit like the Russians did with Egypt mm. a year or so. Massive trade deals, and some of the specifics uh, are really interesting. I think the Chinese get that Egypt is a very important place on the world trade routes. Mm. Basically, Egypt's the Suez Canal plus the Malacca Straits in Indonesia are two key points. Mm. If you got them on the side, you're good. But don't forget, we may live in a high-tech, modern world where you can do all kinds of modern stuff like, mm. say, sanctions. Mm. That's all well and good. But today, still, 90% of all trade goes on ships. And all of it, 90% up, that 90% passes through to one or the other of those two key points. Egypt, Suez Canal, Suez Canal or Malacca. Or Malacca, yeah. So the same old hard realities on the ground, well, you know, haven't well, changed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why the U.S., by the way, is making a fuss about the South China Sea because they don't want the Chinese to be basically saying, get lost, we control this strait now. Um, so, yeah, they were in Egypt. And I want to read something there specifically. Blah, blah, blah. 15 billion trade deal. That's the hard money. But the countries also signed a memorandum of memorandum of understanding and cooperation on the Silk Road and the Maritime Silk Road economic projects. That's what I'm referring to here. The trade route by sea from between those two key points. 
which Egypt should control, but the West has such a control on Egypt all these years, the West effectively controls it, and the Silk Road being the development of Central Asia through Chinese investment. And that's your Marco Polo stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the old Silk Road going through the center of the world island. Chinese are all about that. I mean, they're talking openly about it now. Um, so, from Egypt, he went to, I think he went to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> it's a noticeably smaller amount of money involved, but 1.5 billion in oil, uh, oil something. Well, China is still the main, I think it's the biggest customer for Saudi Arabia, despite Saudi Arabia being basically uh, demoted to second by China because the Chinese Xi Jinping also went to Iran this week and heralded a new chapter in Chinese-Iranian relationship. This basically seals the, the trifecta, three key points on the world island. Russia, China, Iran have more or less cemented, secured. Mm-hmm. We're now working together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's positive news, you ask me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In itself, of course, it doesn't mean that the world's just going to get rosy from here on out, but... Uh, Integration of the great mass of people, led by the most populous country and now the richest, is the way things are going. Um, I'm a little, I have to be a little bit negative about it though, because historically, when integration happens in this way, really big shifts in integration is followed by something disastrous happening. Um, believe it or not, the medieval period, although it was considered, you know, a backwards period for Europe, which Europe was relative to other places in the world, China was highly developed, and so the Middle East. And there was massive increases in trade, especially when the Italians, the Venetians, got on board. There were trade routes that were connecting the whole world, basically. Obviously, nowhere near the scale we have today, but it, it, it's it's uh, it amazes historians the extent to which it was becoming increasingly integrated and looking like a kind of world global system in quotes and then it was immediately or well, very quickly came to an abrupt end in the middle of the 14th century when the Black Death plague struck mm-hmm. so I'm not saying that sequence of events is because it does obviously more to it that there was famine in Europe Proceeding plague, um, there were wars. But do you think Black Death coming back? Well, Ebola mm-hmm. might not be it, but um, outbreaks of extremely virulent viruses mm-hmm. um, killing a lot of people quickly. It could be a, it could be a, there could be a scale of things, you know, where you get some small, relatively isolated things, but. Uh, periodically what seems to happen in history is you get a period where there's something that's extremely violent and can spread easily and doesn't it, it doesn't um, doesn't do what they typically do which is um, die out they don't travel large distances normally mm-hmm. but in the middle of the 14th century Europe's population halved a quarter of it was dead within two years and then the 
the other quarter died within 10 or 20 years. And thereafter, there were returns of the plague, but in quotes, because it wasn't the same particular virus. It was less bad, but over a spell of a couple hundred years, there were returns in some areas worse than others and so on. But you have these episodes where it's extremely pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, that does happen. And are we fear-mongering by saying that? You know, I hope not. I'm just saying it, it can happen. It has happened. And uh, there's no reason to discount it as a possibility happening again. Um, yet, Oh, Iran is post-sanctions. Mm-hmm. You know, we're called era. They've been super busy. They just bought 114 Airbuses. They clearly had this deal lined up prior to now because Airbus, so Europe's answer to Boeing, is going to ship them 114 brand new Airbus planes to Iran by March 21st. No. Or, i.e. they're already made. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's some serious business. That's, I think, a $10 billion worth for the French-German company. Um, and, well, the good news is that Saudi Arabia is going berserk. Don't Absolutely berserk. Yeah. Uh, this ties back to the refugee crisis in Europe. Some German minister this week said, oh, it's going to get much worse. We're looking at another 10 million people coming this century into mm-hmm. Europe. Um, at first I thought, where is he getting that kind of figure from? But there are those kinds of numbers of people displaced. We've only seen the first <clears throat> first wave of visible people, and behind them it, it staggers. So it's greater behind them and greater still behind them. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of Yemen, because Saudi Arabia is bombing every anything that moves in Yemen, which is a country the size of Syria. You've written about it this week. Give us some idea from what you remember. What, what, what numbers of refugees are there in Yemen or could there be from Yemen? Um, Refugees-wise, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm not really sh- leave the country if it's that easy for them to do. Because there there are a lot of people there that are struggling finding food, water, probably have a lot of difficulty, well, definitely difficulty finding a job. And, you know, if you want to travel around and find a better place, you have to have money. Yeah, they can't even get out. Yeah. So they're under a blockade. Yeah. Food's not allowed in, people are not allowed out. There's so much still getting out and getting across to Africa. Mm -hmm. But we're only talking a few thousand or something. Could be, yeah. Um, I have a quote from a UN guy who was there. Mm-hmm. He's since left, but he was there in August. Mm-hmm. And he remarked that by August, so five months into Saudi bombing campaign in Yemen, mm-hmm. which is a country with the same population as Syria, or was, they did the same damage that the, the quote-unquote civil war in Syria did in five years. So you've seen those images of destruction of some cities in Syria. I mean, they, yeah. they looked like they were completely just obliterated. That's actually five years of attrition, street, mainly street-to-street fighting conventional warfare between the Syrian army and the ISIS nutjobs. Mm-hmm. 
Yemen has that level of damage already in five mm-hmm. months from the air. From Saudi planes <clears throat> made in America, pilots trained in the UK, their British military advisors actively participating in this. For all we know, there are a, a thousand ways in which both the British and, and the Americans especially are directly involved in this. What I'm getting at here is we're going to have another two to three million people on the move. There, there were already refugees in Yemen from other conflicts who went there because mm-hmm. they got Yemen was kind enough to let them in. These are refugees from other conflicts. Mm-hmm. They gathered there. They have the refugees in Yemen plus the new Yemeni refugees mm-hmm. at several more million people needing to get out of there. Mm-hmm. They can't at the moment. But eventually, they're going to come. They're going to join this wave, this staggered wave of tens of millions mm-hmm. of people coming to Europe. So Europeans, if you're concerned here about the refugee, oh, who are these refugees coming to country? You want to see how they do it. They're, they're actively churning out millions more now, right now, by bombing the crap out of Yemen. Yeah, duh, this is another duh moment. You know, I mean, I mean, if I was to comment on everything that's going on in the world and the major kind of events that people in newspapers and Western newspapers um, write. You know, long pages about analyzing and all. You know, uh, I could I could do away with all of those long pieces of editorial commentary and analysis and stuff by just having the headline, that a fairly short headline, and then just the, the text of of the of the article would be duh. You know, mm-hmm. because it's so freaking obvious. Uh, but apparently, it's all lo- it's lost on these people because they read newspapers. I think because they watch TV and they're given this convoluted explanation as to why things, these things are happening, which is part of the attempt to kind of uh, befuddle people and, and confuse them and uh, abo- uh, prevent them from seeing the duh aspect of it. You know, like you just said, you know, you can read like lots of different articles about the refugee crisis and how it's happening and what's behind, how we're going to do about it and stuff. But that's all just fluff, basically, to the real main point, which is, your governments, i.e. Western people, have been uh, bombing these countries for their own personal interests and causing refugees, and in some cases bringing the refugees on purpose mm-hmm. to Europe. End of story. That's all you need to know, to know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Protest against your government bombing other countries. It's not freaking rocket science, you know? Um, there's so many other stories that could just be answered with the obvious and a short headline, and there you go. I mean, you save so much on uh, on printed paper and and so much, uh, you know, uh, space on on websites and stuff. You know, you have a lot more articles if the text of all as much as duh. <laughs> <laughs> we could be churning them out. But we already do. We just <laughs> we do. I mean, our headlines are a little. We've been on the facetious side sometimes, but we're basically just spelling it out like. But that's what we think. Of. We're trying to we're trying to report what's being reported. So Tom had a good. Uh, uh, Tom Simpson and Chapman had a good uh, suggestion. We just need the Daily Duh News. <laughs> Let's just grab that domain quick. DailyDuhNews.com. <laughs> did you read the I news today? No, I mean, did I read Duh News? Duh News. <laughs> did Did you read the news? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course I did. And I was like, you know, 
yeah, just like loads of articles on every single major issue, and you know, just that title. The title would be the the explanation, and then if you wanted to, you can open it to read. Duh. <laughs> Do you have any duh news first? I got some duh news, but you look like you got something you want to say. Oh no, just about uh, Yemen. So basically, 16 million Yemenis are without clean water. 6.5 million civilians are at risk of starvation, including 1.7 million children presently at risk of malnutrition. And Yemen already was, I think, uh, a poorest country in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So what Saudi Arabia, the U.S., U.K., Israel, etc., are doing is absolutely worsening the situation for those people there. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, can you think why they're trying to do it? What, what do you think they're trying to do? Think about the location of that country, based on oh. what I said about China and Egypt right. and the trade route going mm-hmm. past it. But also, it's um, they need a friendly, quote unquote, neighbor. Well, it's right country on the, they can rely on. It's on the doorstep. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right on Saudi Arabia's doorstep. So it's rich in oil, right? Yeah. Strategic militarily and that trade route uh, out over the what do you call it? The, what's the name of that sea um, off the coast of Yemen? The Gulf of Arabia. Yeah, well, the Arabian Gulf, but whatever. Uh, I mean, ships, sorry, Sea of Arabia. I think the sea's passing, or the ships passing through the Suez Canal over towards China, that direction more or less pass off the coast of Yemen. Uh, but Saudi Arabia is very afraid of any kind of uh, unfriendly government in. Uh, Yemen, because I mean they could easily destabilize Yemen or Saudi Arabia and cause serious problems for for the Saudis, which wouldn't be very hard, duh, because they're a bunch of head choppers, duh. So they shouldn't be in power at all, duh. Uh, so why the West supports them and puts them on, uh, you know, UN uh, humanitarian um, council, whatever it is, uh, duh. <laughs> God, here's another duh one. Uh, headline. Real-life universal soldiers, U.S. military to create implantable chips to turn soldiers into cyborgs. Uh, far too much text in this one. Scenes from Jean-Claude Van Damme, <laughs> movie, universal soldier may become a reality as the U.S. military is working on the development of an implantable chip which could turn soldiers into real-life cyborgs by attaching their brains to computers. Uh, so, well, how do we, how do we just uh, edit that one down? Well, you just go... Uh, Really bad I- title is really bad idea. U.S. military to uh, implant uh, chips into soldiers' brains to be controlled by computers, uh, and then that's it, the, 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 the information is in the title. Really bad idea in the title, and then in the text, Duh! <laughs> don't put freaking chips into human beings' brains and turn them into cyborgs because you know they're gonna go. I mean, you see in the movies, they're going to run around. They're not going to go fight uh, where you want them to. They're going to just have a malfunction and go and, and shoot up your, your country and take it over and, and turn it into, you know, be like a Skynet or something. You want to be, uh, be Terminators before you know it, you know? Duh, bad idea. Moving on. Anti-Russian stuff. Duh. Two biggies this week. Well, Litvinenko, Affair, those toughy-nosed idiots in London making an international scene out of thin air. You've got to hand them, though. I mean, this happened in 2006. It's now 10 years later, and they keep a lie going 
on and on and on and on. Yeah, unfortunately, the Russians did, you know, they may have had an official response. They don't really give a damn because they're too busy trying to do things that might make a difference or simply trying to feather their own nest, a bit of both. But what? It, it, no, no. It's, it's so inane. It's so inane to me. A guy dies in some weird circumstances. And it's been 10 years making the case for why Putin did it. Yep. And it's just one person. No no offense to the Lipinenko family. How do they, how did it get such a, such a big international story 10 years on? Well, read the headlines, you know. I mean, uh, it, was a, it was a British citizen killed on the streets of Great Britain by the evil arch-commie Putin. You know, a British citizen, that's, that's one of the headlines I read. British, Putin can no longer kill British citizens on, can no longer be allowed to kill British citizens on the streets of Britain. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, duh, he shouldn't, but duh, he didn't. You know, uh, it's a silly thing. And first of all, the Litvinenko. Uh, it's Russian, no? Oh, it doesn't sound like a very British name to me. I'm just guessing here, but Litvinenko. Mm. Yeah, he was, he was born in Russia, spent most of his life in Russia. Moved to the UK, had some dealings with MI5, got some kind of British citizenship, and suddenly he's a British citizen being killed on the streets of lovely Britain by the evil Putin. Really, just give me a break, please. You know, uh, this guy, um, you know, he, he was what it sounds like, there's a whole story behind it and stuff, but what he sounds like from all the evidence is that he was just. Um, he was one of these kinds of people that are uh, that are in Russia. Thankfully, there's fewer of them than there used to be, but they're basically Western puppets that have been uh, basically contacted by British intelligence in Russia and turned effectively to become a a third column, a fifth column inside uh, inside Russia to work against the, you know to, to provide information and whatever for the British inside Russia, and he became this rabid anti-Russian, anti-Putin in particular, anti-Putin uh, crusader. And um, obviously the Russians, like any, any country, uh, don't appreciate fifth column type individuals inside their country uh, trying to effectively destabilize the government for no good reason whatsoever. Not that there is a good reason, really. And um, so he, fle- he flees, and he's taken back into the arms of his handlers in, in MI5, and uh, he has all sorts of dealings with uh, other. He's dr- directly connected with people like Berezovsky, who's now dead, but who was a Russian oligarch who was very anti-Putin as well, and also fled to the UK. Berezovsky being a, an inveterate liar, as as concluded by a judge, actually in a case that he took against uh, Abramovich, who is the other Russian guy who is not so unfriendly to Russia, but also lives in the UK, and he owns Chelsea Football Club and stuff. And uh, uh, Berezovsky tried to sue Abramovich for um, for lots of money that he supposedly lost from him. And he wanted three billion, three billion euros or dollars or something. And the judge in that case that Berezovsky took against him said that, uh, frankly, I can't believe a word that this guy Berezovsky says. He's an battered liar. And so this is the guy who was actually best friends with Litvinenko and put him up in a house in, uh, in Mayfair in London and his family and stuff. And... Um, and it's well known. It's in all the all the press. I mean, there's no secret about the fact that he had contacts. His Litvinenko had contacts with MI5. Was in some way connected with him. Um, he also had worked for 
uh, the FSB in Russia previously, uh, and he, um, but he wasn't a very important person in the FSB. He was just a kind of crime, you know, he was like a just an agent, like an FBI agent kind of thing. Yeah. And he fell foul of the Russians, uh, probably because he, you know, because he basically was, it's like a Cold War type thing. He was a double agent, basically. He was contacted by the British. So they took him back home. And then I reckon my, my best guess on it is at some point uh, they just decided, you know, this guy, you know, we've told him too much or he knows too much or he's expendable. And let's just concoct a plan to make uh, the Russians look bad by killing him. You know, this guy was an outspoken critic of Putin for several years written books and all this kind of stuff and accused him of murder. He's Putin of murder and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so we're meant to believe that the Russians, and Putin himself specifically, uh, is such an arch James Bond body type that he personally would say, yes, take him out, you know, uh, do away with him uh, because he is annoying me, he's saying bad things about me, you know, and, um, and that the Russians would be so stupid as to, with this guy's track record, publicly outspoken against Putin, accusing of murder and all this kind of stuff, that the Russians would be so, so stupid as to kill him in such a massively high-profile way by poisoning him with pol- polonium. I mean, I mean... The, next the point where he's dying in a hospital bed over right. three weeks and the press are, like, documenting right. his death every day. I mean, you know, they should have just fired a, like a diverted a Soyuz rocket or something, landed on his head and left, you know, made in Russia beside him or something. Like, you know, it's so ridiculous that if the Russians wanted to assassinate anybody, that they would do it with polonium, something that is, like, so easily traced. I mean, it's such so rare that it immediately would be traced to anybody with access to polonium, which is nuclear-powered nations. I mean, like I was saying a little while ago, um, a few days ago, there's someone... Uh, it was back in the 1970s, I think, that uh, in the 80s, whenever, the Church Committee on Assassinations. 70s, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. In the U.S., where they had all these details about how the CIA had developed all these ways to kill people. That had gone with a dart that could, you could fire in the 1970s, could shoot a, a little tiny dart into someone that had uh, some kind of poison in ricin or something like that. The dart would dissolve and be gone. It doesn't exist anymore within a few hours or less. Uh, and also the, the, the poison that killed the person would be completely untraceable in the body within a few hours. So, and obviously the Russians and plenty of other people had that technology in the 1980s, right? Mm-hmm. But, and imagine what has prog- progressed since then. Mm-hmm. Yet the Russians choose to kill this guy who's saying bad things about Putin. And these are fingerprints all over Yeah, basically put stamped in Russia, on, or made in Russia on his head. Mm-hmm. Or, or leave that open, you know, leave that argument available. It's just so inane. It's like children's silly, stupid, you know, it's just like fantasy children's stories that are being peddled to the public. And you see the way they're peddled and just these crass kind of like Putin did. It's the same as MH17, you know, Putin killed my baby, you know. I mean, that's all you need to, need to, to read, you know. I mean, it's kind of like the antithesis or the, the, the exact opposite of, of our of our duh, duh daily news, you know. I mean, in a sense, they do exactly the opposite where they peddle complete and utter lies in that kind of like very simplistic kind of way. But the problem is you can actually expose it with the, in a positive way by exposing the truth because their uh, narrative is so simplistic and so obvious, should be so obvious. You can, you can counter it by, by going, Duh, it's not, that, that's not possible, that's ridiculous, that's a, that's a stupid theory. Um, and 
doesn't make any sense. Uh, and the fact that you can do that points to the childishness or the uh, idiocy of their narratives, what they what they what they, what they try and pass off on the public. Like, uh, like I said, you know, Putin killed my baby. No, he didn't. That's a silly thing to say. Why would you say that? That's just absolutely ridiculous. But so many people get that and they believe it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> that, that's good news. I'm going to make some good news out of that because it's such a thin... I know people are getting hammered with it every day from all directions, but it's so fragile and so thin because you can just go, duh. <laughs> Unfortunately, there aren't enough people going, duh. But... You, you can make inroads and get people to go, you know what, uh, at the very least, a skeptical such that the next time you try to copy or use that again, mm. it doesn't fly. Yeah, for a lot of people, but there's a lot of people also who buy it, and they buy it because they want to buy it. They want, they right. want to believe it, you know. Um, it's like, it's like uh, you may as well try and to try and tell people to point out the, the, the implausibility of these narratives that come come out in the Western press, you know, anti-Russian, you know, and pro-West and anti, you know, uh, terrorists, uh, Muslims, anti-Muslims and stuff, um, trying to point out the the implausibility of those, the simple and obvious implausibility of them, is like trying to tell a fondy Christian why it's unlikely that Jesus existed. He's like, I'm not listening to you. I don't want to hear what you're telling me. You know, I, I believe it's not it's not not about facts. I believe, you know, I've taken Jesus into my heart, and Jesus lives in my heart. And so you might say he doesn't exist, but have you looked inside my heart? Because <laughs> if you did, you'll find Jesus there. So I know Jesus exists. I have a relationship with him. I speak to him every day. And can go for drinks now and again. So. <laughs> the thing is, you can't tell me that Jesus doesn't exist because he does, because I know it, because it's about a personal experience that I believe. And that, you can yes, say, it wasn't him. Who was I drinking with last night? Right. Well, I choose. <laughs> I can't go there. Okay, I choose Jesus. 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 And so you can apply that same idea to a lot of people who want to believe the equally banal and, you know, mind-numbing, mind-boggling kind of yeah. uh, theories about um, about anything that's that comes out of the Western papers about, you know, anti Putin or Muslims or whatever. It's it's almost the most simplistic and silly the 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 narrative, the more it actually anchors in certain people's minds and the more they're willing to go with it, you know? Don't trouble me with the details. Just tell me what the truth is and make it nice and simple. it can be black or, or white or one or the other. Just don't go for any colours or shades of grey, please. Because I don't like them. So it's like anti duh Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's there's not much to do about that, you know, about those kinds of people, you know. And uh, but there are, you know, there's a spectrum. You know, there's people on that end of the spectrum. There's people on the other end of the spectrum who could see what's going on. And there's people in the middle who are kind of, be, kind of being fought over. You know, who who have a tendency they want to believe in the nice, rosy, simplistic story and, you know, we're great and everybody else is evil. And, um, but who also still have, maintain the capacity to kind of think a little bit. And, and, and there's a, the mind is slightly ajar, you know, um, and there can be some 
possibility for the infiltration of a little bit of truth and critical thinking still. And so for those kind of people, that those are the, the great unwashed, the middle ground, the, the, the silent, maybe 50% or something, are, who, who, don't, uh, who are still kind of to be, are in play, who are still up for grabs to a certain extent, you know? Yeah. By the way, when is a door not a door? When it's a jar. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> Where's the sound man? Anyway. Um, applause, applause. He didn't know that one was coming, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I have another anti-versus. This is even more. I mean, this, this is so thin. There's got to be... There's got to have been some reactions, even among those at the other end of the spectrum. So, like, what? Again, a British newspaper you know, publish, publishing the story, <clears throat> The Telegraph, which is probably notorious for planting British intelligence stories. Headline is, Russia accused of clandestine funding of European parties as U.S. conducts major review of Vladimir Putin's strategy. It's an exclusive from The Telegraph. UK warns of, quote, new Cold War as Kremlin seeks to divide and rule in Europe. The specific charges are that the Kremlin has been funding European parties in Europe, left and right, opposition, whatever. And that they were trying to undermine... There are three specific accusations. They're trying to undermine NATO. Well, duh. NATO is against Russia. You're going to speak up against it. Okay, well, whatever. The two other ones were that uh, Russia's funding parties in Europe, again, with a view to breaking Europe into uh, factions, you know, stirring up trouble, doing what the U.S. basically does and has done for 70 years. Here's another. The Kremlin is trying to block U.S. missile defense programs in Europe. You're accusing wait, you're accusing Russia of trying to block the installation of missiles in Europe which are aimed at Russia. Duh. Of course they are. And the third accusation is that the Kremlin is trying to undermine unity in Europe over the sanctions regime imposed on Russia after the quote annexation of Crimea. I mean are you are you kidding me? Of course they are. Of course they're trying to stop. It, 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 again, the sanctions are against Russia. It's in their interest to try and not have them there. And, and, and this adds up to an evil regime and a new Cold War and a Kremlin, you know, using covert strategies to divide and conquer people in Europe. Obviously, it's completely insane. But it, it's a very interesting insight into the elites, especially the worst of them in London and Washington, because if you think about what we talk about in terms of psychopaths ruling the world, you've got pure projection going on here. This is precisely how the Western powers undermine everyone else, divide and rule, get Pakistan against India, get China against Vietnam get Russia against Ukraine, 
keep Adam, keep breaking them apart. Keep get uh, what Britain's doing at the moment. Actually, trying to get Germany and Poland. They're fueling this this spat between those two countries. It's in their interest because that's how they've managed to at least, if not control most of the world, have a heavy degree of influence over for the last 200 years. They even have a term for it. They teach their kids this in their international relations courses in their universities. This is called balance of power politics. Nobody is your friend. Nobody is your enemy. It's not personal. But today I'm going to set this party against that party and make them go at each other up to and including killing each other off in a horrible war because it's in my interest to come out on top. Mm-hmm. They'll both then look to me for sucker support, uh, martial plans, redevelopment after the fact. We're cool with that. A world war, no problem. Let's have a world war and we'll come out on top. It's the exact same mindset. We're seeing play out, well, it's, it's always there. I was going to say it's playing out again. It's always been there, but when there are these developments like this, Washington accuses Kremlin of X, Y, Z. You just got you go duh, and you also go oh, and of course it's it's the psychopath projecting what exactly he's doing onto the enemy of the day. In this case, is Putin. Of course, they didn't actually provide any evidence for <laughs> the. <laughs> A dossier of Russian influence activity, they didn't even call it spying, Russian influence activity, seen by the Sunday Telegraph, identified Russian influence operations running in France. Hmm. Is that, is that a shot at us? The Netherlands, Hungary, as well as Austria and the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic has been identified by Russian agents as an entry point into the Schengen Free Movement Zone. It's absolutely inane. But this is the kind of stuff that succeeded last in, in the 20th century because then they were commies and it worked. People were afraid of commies. Commies under the bed, reds everywhere, reds popping up in power. How the hell did they get there? Quick, get rid of the reds. They don't have it anymore. They, they don't have ideology to bash the Russians with. They're kind of hoping that just the fact they're Russian will suffice. It's not going to work. It's going to work on some people, but I'm predicting the complete collapse of this uh, you're either with us or you're against us. You can't play this directly with Russia while Germany is building you know, that gas pipeline for the meat is right. essential gas needs. Doomed to failure. And, doomed. And that's why, I mean, we've mentioned before, look at the extreme that these people have gone to to attack Russia. They can attack Russia. They realize Russia is not the kind of power they can just push over and, like you said, you know, inside the internal uh, kind of division and destabilization and stuff. They can't do anything about it. Russia's got its own resources. It's a world player. That's the way it's going to go. You can't change it, but they're like, well, we're going to try anyway. And they go to extremes of, like, shooting down M817 just to make, just just so they could have um, headlines that said, Putin killed my baby. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, or, you know, more than likely the Sinai crash last year. Um, and, you know, they're just getting desperate and they carry out more false flag terror attacks, you know, in um, Paris and elsewhere. It's just boring. These people are boring, you know. That's what, I mean, as horrible as it is, they're horribly boring as well. Tedious. It's like a war of attrition. 
trying to wear us down by just doing the same thing over and over again. I guess it works for some people. It works for some people. Um, so, yeah, as Rini said on the, on the pop-up, imagine if Russians were Muslims. Mm. That would be a problem. Don't give them any ideas, though. We could probably tell people, you know, there'll be a headline tomorrow in the, in the British Telegraph or something. On the, uh, Islam funded by Kremlin. No, all Russians convert to Islam. So they're like, really? Oh, my God, I knew it. Uh, Islamo-commies. Yeah. So, on, in other news, um, well, let me wrap up with this one. Um, there's a planetary alignment that isn't really an alignment. Because they're not in a line. In an line. <laughs> there's a kind of a line that involves planets being... Is the Kremlin behind us? Uh, one of those planets may be the Kremlin mothership, yes. Um, but anyway, it's... Jupiter, Mars, Saturn, Uranus, no, not Uranus, uh, Venus, um, five planets. Five of the planets, you can see them all at once uh, for the next month. More or less started yesterday or so. Um, and they're in the sky in the evenings. You can see them with your, with your naked eye. That's an eye without any clothes on. Yeah, don't get naked. It's too cold. Uh, just the eye, though. Yeah, don't be going naked. You don't need to be naked to see them. Um, just your eyes. So, and they're all in the sky at once. And the last time this happened was... 11, 11 years ago? 2004. <laughs> December 2004. And it lasted for a month as well. And during that time, in fact, 10 months, 10, sorry, 10 days into the last so-called alignment or appearance of these five planets in the sky at the same time, 10 days into it was the Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami. Uh, more or less on Christmas, or day after Christmas, I think, um, that killed uh, up to 300,000 people in the tsunami, largely. Um, so the question is, is something similar likely to happen again for some reason, possibly partly involving these planets being in a particular position in the sky and visible to Earth? Uh, involving some kind of um, you know, electric universe type theory of uh, grounding of uh, a current through the system or having some kind of an effect on our planet because as we know, all the planets in the solar system do have effects on the Earth. Um, so that's something that uh, we have to wait and see what happened. I mean, a major earthquake. I mean, the, the earthquake was well, a large think it was seven or eight or something in, in the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's been much talk in the past uh, few years about uh, the big one in California, a possible very, very large earthquake off the coast of California that would not be very pleasant for people experiencing it and I would say would probably cause a very large tsunami. And if a large tsunami uh, hit the west coast of the USA, densely populated area, much more so, I think, than... um, and Indonesia, that got the brunt of the Indian Ocean earthquake 11 years ago, Banda Ash, Banda Ase. Uh, I think you'd be talking about maybe deaths in the, possibly in the millions, because while a lot of buildings and stuff might be earthquake prone or earthquake proof um, in California, I don't think the same can be said for tsunamis, and uh, you can't really 
tsunami proof the coast of of a country. So um yeah, that's something that's been on our minds. Are you making a prediction, Joe? Uh yeah. The big one's gonna come within the next six weeks. Within the next uh six months. Six hundred years. <laughs> oh come on, you said two months during the alignment. One month is actually the alignment only lasts one month. Okay. That's not an alignment. They appear into five. Well, there was a 7.1 in Alaska yesterday. Right, yeah, 6.5. And there was a, well, it wasn't a tsunami, but it was a very large wave that came up and hit somewhere. Right. In California. Washington State, I think. Yeah, northern, northern east coast, um, yeah. west coast of the U.S. Um, yeah, it was really well, but it just kind of, it's like a bay in from the, from the sea, you know, at, uh, like an inlet. Um, it's usually quite shallow, I think, kind of mud flat almost, and the tides out. It's empty, you know, and this wave just came in. There wasn't a tide coming in. It was a wave that came in and just within a few seconds filled this fairly large bay and just it was like a mini version of a tsunami, effectively. And um, for that to happen, uh, that that's strongly suggestive of some kind of activity, uh, you know, small movements of the crust or whatever off, off coast, you know, uh, maybe a small subduction or something, a dropping of the ocean floor or uh, a movement of... of Couple of plates or something, not maybe a, you know, a cup or something. <laughs> they try to suggest it was weather related. A cup, <laughs> a, plate. a cup and a plate. A couple of plates and a cup. And you just off the cup. <laughs> well, yeah. A fork or two. Go on. <laughs> this is this is. They try to suggest high level scientific debate. Go ahead. <laughs> Involving cutlery and tea. Yeah, well, plates. Yeah. Go on. Um, they try to suggest it was. It was Weather-related, so a storm front had built up oh, a wave and yeah, sailed off. That happened, and that happens all the time, like right? That happens yeah, all the time. Yeah, sure, but yeah. locals there said, "No, wait, this wasn't. Never heard of this before." Well, nobody's heard of that on before. The people on the beach. A storm out at sea doesn't cause a, a tsunami. The drooling. If it did, the storms out at sea off the coast of California all the time. No, but you, 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 you get, get tidal surge, but that's different. No, this was a wave. Yeah, you know. So um, yeah. That's all we look forward to as well. Uh, you know, so get your your cups out and keep watching the signs of the times because we will uh, be reporting on it as we as it happens. Solutions. Um. Yeah. Anything else? Any last minute updates there? Any, any hot hot points you gotta you want to tell people about? No. Uh I think we're done. Uh, the storm has apparently just come to an end. Yeah, officially. It's heading across the. Uh, it's coming our way. I was looking at it on the on the on that uh, wind map, uh, the globe. Maybe you should check that out. It's a Japanese uh, university site that uh, has the globe and it shows you the wind maps and it shows you storms and stuff. You know, um, and this storm Jonas that just dumped all the snow that we began the show with uh, on the east coast of the U.S. It's if you look at it, basically in a day, it's moving very fast. It can in two days it moves across the entire Atlantic Ocean and and hits the UK because you just jump forward, you know, by a day and it's like boom, it's gone, it's gone from the east coast and it's like halfway across the Atlantic and then, and then a day later it's on top of the UK. So it's moving extremely fast compared to you know compared to other storm systems like uh, hurricanes or something like that. They usually move very there. slowly, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but this one is just like barreling across and it's, I think it's. Because it's a storm, I suppose a hurricane is a kind of discrete, discrete 
uh, weather phenomenon, but this is a, an atmospheric or a storm system, and I think for that reason it's it's maybe you know obviously a hurricane isn't uh, is maybe lower or whatever, or it's not involved in the same processes. But this is probably being carried by uh, by by the jet stream or something, or it's moving across the Atlantic in in, in line with the. It's being funneled by the jet stream. Yeah, high level winds, you know. Yeah. And uh, and they're doing 200 miles an hour at times, you know. So um. Yeah, I think it could do it in yeah, 24 hours or something. It would have, it'd be pretty much pretty much there. So that's that'll be interesting. People in the UK who got flooded over Christmas are going to get flooded again. Uh-huh. It. At least flooding, but I mean, of course, they're saying it'll be rain. But who knows? You know, all you'd need is a dip down in the jet stream uh, just to coincide with that storm arriving. A bunch of polar air coming in and the two coinciding, and all that rain would turn to snow, and it wouldn't be just the UK. It would be the Netherlands. Belgium, and all well, a bit of northern France, yes, they would all get uh, dumped in snow. And it's about time, you know. We've got to lighten things up here. I mean, we all saw the day after tomorrow. Yeah. And when's it going to happen? I mean, Hollywood should become reality. In fact, Hollywood might become reality in some aspects of it. Speaking of major earthquakes in, in California. I'd San Andreas. Yeah. Decent movie. If anybody wants a nice, like, just... Lowbrow kind of, uh, but well-made. Uh, it's a good, it's a feel-good movie. Disaster movie about a, a major earthquake in uh, the big one hitting as, as a precursor to what might actually happen. Check out San Andreas. It's a, uh, it's, it's worth a watch if you're into disaster movies that are well-made and you know, in, in the classic uh, style of disaster movies, basically. Oh my God! Oh my God! Bill and the Dino was a help kind of thing, but it's entertaining. Anyway, that's our that was our movie movie pick segment. That we just introduced after we picked this week. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks for um, listening in. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week with. We hope to be interviewing Andrew Gavin Marshall, who's an analyst and researcher um, from Toronto, I believe, Canadian. And we'll be talking about the Troika and the EU and how they stitched it all up in Europe, but also we'll be tapping, of course, into global finance in general. He's the expert on these issues. So, yeah, hopefully talking to him. So we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks again for listening, folks, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, thanks to our chatters. We'll be back, as we said, next week. And thank you to Bahar, and she will also be back next week uh, with more of her insights. So, yes. Have a good evening, people, and... Take care, everyone. Take care. Be safe. We love you all. We are so cool. Bye. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.